0: You're listening to Small But Mighty, the podcast of the Small Nonprofits Alliance, the online hub for Australia's small charities. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Small But Mighty. I'm excited to have here with me today Neil Taylor, uh, the founder of Holy Fools, which is a fabulous small charity in Australia. Um, the outer outskirts of Melbourne and he'll talk a little bit about that in a moment but hello Neil, how are you?
1: I'm wonderful Bianca, thank you for having me on.
0: Thanks for joining us. Um, To get started, what we often ask some of our guests is um, a question that relates to our podcast and what does small but mighty mean to you you and your organisation?
1: Good question. Uh, I guess in in the, in the our interpretation of it is that being small means we're a little bit more nimble than uh, larger organisations. One of the areas, because we uh, deal with homelessness and um, uh, we're not government-funded, we don't have to do all of the, the red tape that the federal government demands for its funding. So I guess that means we're a lot more agile at dealing um, with the responses when they do come up. Um, for example, uh, we can... Um, you know, uh, complain about something that's maybe happening in the in the area or deal with the council or other government issues um, without really worrying about the fact that we're federally funded and, and have some sort of uh, restrictions on what we can actually do.
0: Yeah, fabulous, fabulous. That is definitely um, a few great assets of small organisations and that independence from, you know, large funders, whether it's the government or corporate organisations, definitely gives you some of that freedom.
1: Yeah, but it it also means too because we're a small organisation. We're a lot more agile at being able to, like I said, be be very much um, respond to things. So uh, in in making decisions, I guess is not so much a, a bureaucracy. It's a it's a it's you know getting a couple of people together and saying, hey, let's do something about this and going off and doing it instead of yeah. you know waiting for some sort of bureaucracy red tape to happen.
0: Yeah, yeah, true. Um, so, what would be your pe- um, best piece of advice for others on their journey of being small but mighty?
1: Uh-huh. Uh, I I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I think probably it would be to 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 remember that you're not alone. That there are there are many other people out uh, out there like us who are really struggling and, and and striving to make a big difference in the world. And I think uh, things like the, um, the Small Nonprofits Alliance and things like that make a huge difference in uh, allowing us to understand that there are many other people who are experiencing the same difficulties and same problems and running an organisation and that um, there are there's definitely help out there and, and definitely support from other people and that you don't really need to reinvent the wheel if they're, you know, in, in doing something because there's always someone else that's kind of uh, can maybe offer you some advice.
0: Yeah, not reinventing the wheel is something that I sort of talk to to non-profits about a lot. If there is, you know, other bits and pieces out there that you can use and modify and, you know, adjust it to suit your organization, that's a really great way to do it. So that's some fabulous advice. Thank you. No, Um, no problem. I understand you have a, um, a background in film, TV and advertising before you transitioned into counselling and then the community welfare sector. Was there a specific point in time for you that um, that you recall when you sort of changed that direction? And, and I guess, was there a trigger um, for you in that area?
1: That's a really good question. I think the um, uh yeah, I was uh, I'd been involved in the film and television industry for several years in Queensland and um, it just found it very um, very superficial and very uh, I don't know it was a very it was a very burgeoning kind of uh, community as well but uh, it just didn't kind of seem real it was very everything was very uh, uh, false and and you know uh, plasticky and kind of thing it was kind of not didn't feel right anyway. Yeah. So when I moved down to Melbourne, I was um, uh, working with a couple of organisations down here just doing some marketing and things like that for them and um, started to notice more and more people who were hurting and and on the streets and things like that and, and, and really starting to think that maybe perhaps there was something I needed to do. Then I ended up uh, working, um, uh, creating a small advertising agency and we were doing some work with real estate agents, things like that. And um, we just started to notice, you know, we were putting all these amazing ads for uh, property profile magazines and all these sort of things. And it was really hard to sort of justify what we were doing there. And then going out and seeing, you know, out of our office and seeing a couple of doors down, there was someone sitting in the doorway who had been sleeping there overnight. So I started to have a, a real, I guess, sense of um, – of balance in the way I, what I was perceiving I was doing and thought, really struggled with it and, and and made a decision that I really wanted to find out what I could do, you know, and did I need to go and do some more study. So that's where I decided to um, uh, go and study a Diploma of Community Welfare work uh, well over, well, gosh, about 12 years ago now. Um, yep. <laughs> and uh, um, the idea was I wanted to learn the language and understand more about what people were going through, because I just felt it was no no point in really just jumping off and going and starting to help people, unless I could kind of understand a bit more about where they were, uh, what situations they were in, and what sort of things they were facing, um, and, and the language, I guess, that the, you know, that culture of welfare kind of maybe that exists in, and it wasn't to go ahead and use the language, but it was just to understand that language if I was dealing with um other agencies and, and organizations so um but it was a probably it was a slow burn trigger i think it wasn't a wasn't a major sort of event in my life um i guess to the the fact that um uh maybe it, it had been sitting in the back of my head but my grandfather had been uh homeless in south africa uh, for pretty much most of his life and oh, uh, okay. i'd heard heard stories of him and um, things through my dad and and uh uh, other relatives. And so I guess there was a uh, that had sort of been at the back of my head all the time, too. And 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 it all sort of merged together and, you know, was there for, uh, uh, I guess, the, the impetus to go and start studying that uh, Diploma of Community Welfare work.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a um, an interesting um, sort of transition and thanks for sharing. And I, I definitely understand what you mean around the film and television sort of space. I actually um, worked in advertising for four or five years when I first um, started my career and I kind of had that same feeling that you sort of think there just must be more to life than what I'm doing here <laughs> in this sort of space. So um, I totally understand that. But it's it was actually really nice just to hear you talk about how you sort of went into learning a little bit about community welfare just more from a um you know an understanding point of view and and to be able to i guess have some better way to relate to the people that you were coming into contact with on a you know daily or weekly basis in your local community that's a really lovely um approach and and a really um genuine i think you know approach to what you've what you've done and, and where you've been which is really lovely um so obviously then that's Taken you along a a bit of a journey now, and um, you've founded Holy Fools, which is a small charity based in the Yarra Ranges on the outskirts of Melbourne. From my understanding, that was just over 10 years ago. Um, Your organisation works to support a portion of more than 100,000 Aussies that are experiencing homelessness every day. Um, and one of your programs is called Street Angels. Can you tell us a little bit more about um, Holy Fools and the program of Street Angels?
1: Certainly. Yeah, Holy Fools is a uh, uh, very uh, small organisation, but uh, we, as you said, we've celebrated last uh, October was our 10th anniversary of uh, being founded, and um, we've worked... Um, in uh, sort of the, the space over in the outer east of Melbourne called uh, the outer Rangers and, and uh, Maroondah uh, with those who are homeless and people who are at risk of homelessness. And it originally started off working in community meals and um, uh, being a chaplain, I guess, to folks who were at the meals. Um, and, you know, uh, there was often including uh, uh, taking people to hospital, to doctor's appointments, to police stations, to, to court and things like that. And that kind of was the... I guess, the impetus to, to, to start the organisation. And originally the organisation was set up as, a, a, I guess, an insurance, um, uh, uh, an, an ID for an insurance, uh, to have insurance for what I was doing because I was working with a couple of different organisations and both churches uh, that were run by churches and neither of them could actually cover what I was doing Outside of their of the mm-hmm. the their program programs, so uh, Holy Fools originally began as a um, uh, I guess just a way to get insurance to cover the fact that I was doing chaplaincy out, out on the streets and also to uh, work with people in different locations. Um, yeah. Street angels so that was sort uh, of an
0: outreach an outreach sort of aspect to the the work that you'd already been doing. Is that what you mean?
1: Yeah, that's right. It was uh, uh, we'd been doing a lot of work with um, a couple of the major community meals out in Croydon. Um, uh, one called uh, the Dining Room, another one called Vive Cafe, and it was really difficult to see people who would come to that, and uh, they would often be homeless or, or uh, really struggling with something, uh, with addictions or, or uh, at risk of homelessness, and they would sit down and tell you these amazing stories and and open their hearts to you and then you'd basically have dessert with them and they'd leave and it was really difficult I found it very difficult just to see them to just to spend that time there and watch them leave I just felt that I had to uh, you know, take that step outside of the, the, the dining rooms and and go and, and uh, walk alongside these people just to see that that I could uh, you know maybe carry them, help them, help them uh, when they stumbled, and, and maybe bring bring a bit more hope into their lives than than just a, a, a warm stomach. So um, with that idea, we started Street Angels six years ago, um, and Street Angels was designed. Uh, to um, uh, was designed especially for rough sleepers and for those who uh, were avoiding the community meals um, because we'd noticed that there was a number of folks who were um, roughing it um, in the local area, Lilydale, who um, you would uh, have a community meal, but they wouldn't attend there. They weren't attending any of the agencies either. Um, so we started talking and hanging out with them and finding what was going on, and a lot of them weren't interested in... Um, Going to these agencies for help because they they would always have to go to them and 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 sort of go very uncomfortably into sort of ask for some help. So mm-hmm. we decided to set up Street Angels as a way of just going to where they were and um, offering a very simple lunch. And also uh, just being there to say, hey, we're here. Let's let's you know sit down and talk, and we're here to listen to what you want to say. And and if we can, we can help you with uh you know some basic stuff like food, um, clothing, blankets, uh, backpack, beds and uh, referrals if we need to. So that's where Holy Fools, uh, sorry, Street Angels began.
0: Mm. And
1: it's pretty much developed since then to be um, our outreach service as well. So we do not only the outreach on a Wednesday um, at noon in Melbourne Park in Lilydale, but uh, we use the, the term Street Angels refers to sort of any of the outreach services that we do, which is including... Uh, Visitation into the regular haunts of people who are rough sleeping in the area and just check on welfare and things like that.
0: Yeah. And how many, um, I understand you have a number of volunteers that work with you as street angels. Um, So how many volunteers do you work with on on average on a week or or month, however you sort of account for them? And and how many people roughly are you supporting through this program that, that are living rough?
1: Uh, at last, uh, last Wednesday we had six rough sleepers turn up for for lunch, and yep. that that was kind of a record uh, for um, uh, um for Wednesday. We often have people who are have got accommodation, whether it's in a boarding house, um or other you know other spaces, but it was really that was the first time we'd had six people who were actually rough sleeping uh, yeah. turn up for lunch. Um, as far as volunteers go, we have a, a one or two people that uh, are regular helpers on a Wednesday who um, uh, are very much uh, uh, passionate about what we do and they like to come down and help out as much as possible. And then we have a series of probably about a dozen other people that uh, uh, rotate on a roster to either provide a meal or, or come down and help serve a meal. So, yeah, it depends. On a, on a regular day without COVID-19 hanging over us, we usually have um, maybe three or four volunteers down there um, uh, just talking to people, hanging out, helping with mm. the food, um, yeah. making sure people are getting what they need and things like that. And at the moment we've we've had to scale back, obviously, to um, one or two people uh, to try and prevent, uh, you know, any further uh, health issues.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um... it's a really challenging time and I think that um, that's kind of a good segue to my next question. I guess, as as you just mentioned, we're currently in the time of, um, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic and, um, you know, it's obviously on a global level it's affecting many people and and many different areas um, of our community are having a light shone on them during this time. Homelessness and how such a health pandemic puts people without self, um, without safe shelter—sorry—at much greater risk is one of those areas. How have you guys um, at Holy Full seen the lives of the people that you were working with in the Yarra Valley and surrounding regions change in in the recent weeks and months with this situation?
1: Well, that's it's another good question. Yeah, we've seen that because uh, uh, as you as you may realise, that um, anyone who's rough sleeping, it um, doesn't have a safe place to go and um, self-isolate because they're they're obviously out and about. So what we're finding is that um, uh, people are very confused and very hurt, uh, you know, um, about seeing the self-isolation and very confused confused about how they're supposed to do it. But it's also seeing that Uh, There have been a a lot of closure of uh, other operations and and charities and groups in the area that have Mm. provided um, help because of, obviously, um, the the COVID-19 crisis uh, that have prevented – well, you know, have closed down. So there's obviously not the the resources available at the moment for a number of people. A good example is showering. we uh, – there's a number of places in the local area that offer showers for anyone who's rough sleeping it. But at the moment, because of the uh, the COVID-19, all these showers are shut down. So yeah. really, really there's nowhere for anyone who's rough sleeping to shower apart from maybe um, – uh, going down to a, a lake or something where the where the public showers are outside to to get somewhere. So uh, yeah, I think one of the biggest struggles is that they're finding is is that is the, the loss of loss of a, a lot of lifelines that they used to have. Um, the other thing is too is the that people are very much more guarded about talking to them and, and, and encountering them. So, you know, there's a lot of people who might, uh, you know, there's one guy in particular that's been sleeping in a rotunda at a park and often people would drop food around to him or say hello to him and um, mm. a, and engage him. But the number of people who are doing that now has dropped off and, in fact, people aren't dropping as much food around to him or even talking to him anymore. Yeah. So I guess the loneliness factor is another area that's sort of increased because there's there's very little places for, for him to go. Yeah. The the federal government's uh, uh, allocated a number of funds for homeless people, but the funds are only for uh, folks who have been uh, tested for COVID-19 or have been diagnosed with COVID-19 to uh, be housed in one of four nursing homes in Melbourne uh, during this period. Um, so there's no additional funding for uh, crisis accommodation or for putting people in motels or anything like that. So mm. basically... Um, uh, they're still in the same situation they were, just having to deal with the extra um, stress of uh, what's going on at the moment.
0: It's really both quite eye-opening, I guess, to the to the situation <clears throat> and the challenges, obviously, that people experiencing homelessness are facing. You know, like you just said, having a um, having a real challenge finding a place to actually have a shower. That's such a basic you know, thing that everybody, well, not everybody, but most people just do every day without even thinking about it um, or even questioning their ability or access to having a shower. Um, it's really quite confronting, actually, to hear you talk about that, some of those things, like you say, those support networks that the people that are already living in these challenging situations are, are now not having. And, and I know I've heard a lot of people um, talk about, Isolation and and you know I understand that we are meant to be self isolating and and you know social distancing but I think the word you used was loneliness and and that that can be that's happening with people that are you know not experiencing homelessness so the, some of those other challenges are just compounded aren't they for for this sort of cohort of our um, of oh, our community
1: definitely and I think loneliness is probably one of the biggest uh factors in the moment for with uh, with the COVID-19 is because the self-isolation is asking people to stay at home mm. there are a lot of people who rely on on um not only community meals but sort of places you know some of the fast food places to go and hang out and get a coffee or mm. whatever uh now finding that they can't do all that so yeah uh um unfortunately we're seeing i know there's a spike in in mental health issues
0: yes um, definitely
1: um, but also, there's um, unfortunately, I know there's also been a spike in uh, suicides. So um, I think you um, know, you know, we're not seeing, I guess, the dark side of COVID nineteen, which is it, which is that area. Um, mm. um, but there is definitely a, a a dark side to it that seems to be happening, and it is it is must be very depressing. And I know that it is it is depressing for a number of the guys, and which is why a lot of them turn to drugs and alcohol. So
0: mm. yeah, I did notice. Um, I saw on TV the other day uh, in a organisation. I think it was the Wayside Chapel in in Sydney. Uh, um, <clears throat> I'm not sure if it's in conjunction with the local government up there, but they've um, gone out to a number of people in the in the Greater Sydney region um, that are sleeping rough and been able to have them put up for I think until the end of May it was um, in in hotels and then not. I know the. Um, initiative that you mentioned it was uh, only for people that had been at risk of or or had been diagnosed with with COVID nineteen, but this um, this initiative that's actually running in Sydney at the moment that they were um, highlighting on the TV is talking to something different, which is which is still I think a great opportunity, but <clears throat> you know that's still only a f- you know, a finite amount of time. It's only five or six weeks that they're going to be given that opportunity and then, um, you know, there's just, I don't know, it's it's such a complex issue, homelessness, and I think the more I personally learn about the issue, the more I understand how complex it is. It's not just about someone doesn't have somewhere to sleep. There's so many different layers um, of complexities that go with it. And um, I think as a community, we, you know, we need to look at all of those levels of complexities, not just in a time when there's a pandemic and and that sort of stuff. How have you seen your um, – oh, sorry, how have you been able to change your day-to-day operations to address some of those new challenges? Because I, I – you know i heard you say that you normally have a handful of people go out on your wednesdays but now you you don't you only have one or two because you have to still obey the social distancing rules and regulations um so how are you you know what have you been able to do in your day-to-day operations to support the community that needs your help
1: well, we've, uh, as I said, we've had to scale the, the, those sort of things back. We've been handing out um, hand, hand sanitizer and um, uh, ensuring people are aware of um, some of the, the, the available resources, but also um, we've been uh, providing food, um, a lot more food to people um, because a lot of the avenues, as I said, that they used to go to for food and things like that have been closed down. So we're finding that our... our um, um, Handing out of uh, non-perishable food and, and uh, things like that has increased dramatically. Um, we've also seen a, a very much an increase in people who are coming to the area and identifying as being homeless. So I guess uh, the resources have been stressed uh, stressed too with um, uh, having to sort of now deal with a lot of these other people. We work in conjunction with um, a couple of the agencies in the area um, with uh, who are more housing agencies to ensure that we. Um, uh, can uh, make sure that we understand who who's homeless in the area and are able to care for them. So um, all three of the agencies, including ourselves, have noticed a dramatic increase in doing that. Um, and I guess the the, the challenge has been able to 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 go and help them, but also you know keeping a safe distance and and, and maintaining uh, the um, uh, the restrictions and things like that, which is really difficult in mm. the sense that all of our programs and, and holy fools are all there you know it's all been uh, very much about community and, and about um, uh, you know caring for one another and it's <laughs> I find it very difficult to care for people uh, on a uh, you know a, a greater level when I've got to maintain that 1.5 meters distance from them so uh, yeah. it's very it's been very difficult in that regard but we've been able to to sort of I guess transition into just doing uh, takeaway meals and, and uh, not encouraging people to hang around but it's been very much an anti um, uh, what we normally do, it's you know against what we would normally want to do um, it's also meant we're very much more busier in trying to resource um, ourselves and, and things like um, uh, food and, and things like that so we've um, had to increase a bit of a, a, um, a demand for uh, non-perishable food and, and also for funds and things like that to keep us going um,
0: yeah, I was going to ask you about that, actually. have you ha- How have you been able to keep up with that additional demand for, like you said, some of the foods and things that you're sort of handing out more? Have you been able to um, get an increase of in-kind donations or um, any of the other food sort of services out there able to help or or have you been able to do a bit more of a fundraising campaign or appeal or anything like that?
1: Well, it's interesting. I think that there's been a bit more of an outpouring of um, uh, of care from people uh, in in spite of COVID 19. I think there's a lot more people who are interested in. Um, helping others, and so we've seen a bit of an increase in people wanting to donate foodstuffs to us. I guess one of the benefits, too, has been that we've been, um, uh, and it's, a, it's a quite a, a negative benefit, but it's a, it's a benefit, is the that a number of the big restaurants at wineries and things like that in the area have um, had to shut down, so we've had lots of calls from um, a number of these uh, wineries and, and restaurants. Um, and been able to collect some amazing food from them to to hand out. So, um, uh, you know, just recently one of them contacted us and we went and picked up all these cheeses. So we were able to <laughs> hand out all, all these, um, you know, absolutely exotic cheeses and you yeah. know, goat's cheese to, to Camembert and all these sort of things. So, uh, uh, you know, things that would have like that. A,
0: I can imagine as a cheese lover myself, that would have been a very odd but delightful surprise <laughs> to was. some of your your members in your networks that probably, you know, they're not – probably really haven't thought about having any fancy cheeses for a while, I would imagine.
1: It, that's right. And it was quite uh, – it was a surprise for us as well. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, so we've been, I guess we've been quite uh, really, um, uh, I guess, blessed and lucky to get a number of these um, uh, restaurants and things like that that have closed down to provide the food for us. Um, but in the same token, we've also seen a lot of um, uh, families and um, uh, groups of people who have said, hey, listen, we'll, we'll start collecting some non-perishable food for you and bring it down. Um, so we've had, uh, we've put out a couple of appeals and we've just had a, a, a really positive uh, return on that where, where we've had people just come down with literally boxes of um, non-perishable food they've been collecting either from their pantry or from um, going to the shops over the last couple of weeks. So it's been, I guess that's been uh, amazing. Uh, a flip side to the the, the, uh, the the isolation is that we've seen a, an increase in people caring and, and sort of reaching out to say, um, can we help?
0: Mm, I think it has... Um you know, from what I've seen, I think, you know, like what we were talking about before with the loneliness and and, it's, and you were saying it's hard for you to, you know, you find it really hard to deliver your service when your service is actually all about connection and and um, that social side of it. And now you are having to keep your distance and and remove some of that connectivity. It makes it really challenging. But I think, like you said, the flip side of that is people are, um now spending more time at home so they are losing some of their own connections to some extent or physical connections i know a lot of people are still you know having different you know facetime or phone calls with families and friends but that physical connection for a lot of people is gone so i think perhaps there is that um perhaps a greater awareness of what you know not having that connection with people can be i I remember an article i read Number of years ago, actually, about you know, what's the best sort of thing that you can do when you see a homeless person or someone sleeping rough, you know, on your daily travels or something. And it and it really just talked to the fact that you could just say hello, and exactly, um, and one of their biggest challenges for this gr- group of people all the time is is that they feel invisible. And and that uh, I remember when I read that article, it really, it really, um, it really struck a chord with me and has probably changed a little bit of the way I, you know, interact on a personal level when I when I sort of am in that situation. But you know, for the general public, if they're not in that space, sometimes it's too far removed to even really think about. It. And like we were saying before, there's so many complex complexities to it. People don't necessarily understand that either. Um, But maybe this time has been able to let people see that, you know, when I mean, when you're saying what I'm trying to say, I guess, is when something's taken away from you, like these physical connections that you have with people, you can then see how important they are. And then maybe you have an understanding for the people that don't have those types of physical connections in their life. Maybe you can relate a little bit more to that. So,
1: no. yeah, I think I think you're right. I think that it's definitely um uh, uh made people a lot more aware, I guess, of of uh, being isolated and, and not having that connection. And, and maybe um, I think in the same token, it's allowed them to um, sort of maybe reflect on on their own lives and what they're doing. But I think too, it's also allowed people to. Um, uh, spend more time on the net maybe and, and looking up things and you know uh, so I think there's been quite a bit of a uh, we've, we've seen a like a big resurgence in our website and also Facebook so we've seen quite a bit of uh, you know obviously people are sitting at home on their computers or doing whatever in the self-isolation to to uh, find out more about what's going on in the area and to to say hey listen what can I do to to do something and in, in, uh, to help people in the area.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think the whole online thing, people are spending a lot more time online and um, and and reaching out to others in that way. Um, I know through our Small Nonprofits Alliance, we've had members um, ask a few different questions about digital communications and, and social media to connect with people. So we've run a couple of webinars on those sorts of things and it is, it is really important. So it's great to hear that you guys are seeing uh, an increase, I guess, in – people connecting with you that way um, and reaching out reaching out and finding you I guess that way. It, have you been able to um, to sort of capture some of the I guess data or the information or the, the details of the people that have been able to support you um, and that are bringing down the boxes of, of um, goods and, and things like that so that that can help grow your um, supporter community?
1: Uh, yeah, we've been able to, uh, uh, obviously I would like them to more, more of them to sign up for sort of our, um, uh, newsletters or to sign up to, um, to, uh, for email addresses, but we're getting a lot more people who are signing up as, um, uh, I guess, um, fans and things like that on Facebook, um, yeah. and, and much more interested in sort of what we're posting and, and reacting to what we're doing. Um, we've not, uh, translated that into, um, uh, um, adding them to a mailing list or anything like that at the moment. But um, yeah. uh, that's sort of in the process of, of, of hopefully happening soon. But, yeah, yeah we've sure. seen a lot more people interested in what we're doing and, and uh, um, you know, making um, uh, sort of inquiries as to, um, uh, you know, whether they can get involved.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really good. That's fabulous to hear. I think it is, um, like you said, you know, it's a really terrible time and challenging time for so many people, um, with the current pandemic that's, that's happening around the world. But there are, I think, little nuggets of joy, I guess, I'm I'm sort of have been calling them where you see and hear of stories of people just, you know, really being kind and, and having that different approach, um, to life that perhaps they may not have otherwise had. So it's really good to hear that um, you've you guys at Holy Fools have been experiencing that and having the community really support you while you continue to support the people in need in your area. Um, I guess one of the advantages that you spoke of earlier about being a small charity is that ability to be quite agile. And and you said you know that's something for you that's. That's what you define as being small but mighty. So, has that um, ability to ha- to be agile have has that helped you through this current situation and, and the ability to sort of change your approach and your day to day programs and activities?
1: It's been with um, uh, well, I guess the the, the reason uh, I said it was it was sort of being agile is that. One of the things that it's happened is is that we've been pretty much the um, only agency that's sort of small enough and nimble enough to go out and and um, do outreach because of the the other two agencies that we're dealing with are fairly large and one of them is a national agency. Um, they're both very much um, encumbered with red tape and and safety aspects that the um, the organisation has passed through to. Um, the way they behave, including one of them, uh, you know, how many people are in the office and things like that. So uh, as far as the outreach services are concerned to people on the streets, we're the only agency that's really out there doing it now because a lot of the other agencies have got uh, restrictions on on uh, what they can do and how um, how they do it. So I guess that's one of the reasons, you know, being agile enough and flexible enough to, to um, make our own decisions and not have bureaucracy hold us down has been a, a real boon to be able to, to, to allow us to, to go and keep going and doing what we're doing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's fabulous. That's so, so really good to hear. And it's promising that, um, that you've been able to adjust and, and, you know, really support the community at this time. Um, so Holy Fools, as you mentioned, has been around just over 10 years now, and I'm sure that there's been other challenges that you have faced through that time. Um, has there been another big challenge or something that you have been have been faced with and been able to overcome?
1: <laughs> that's a, that's another great question. And uh, yeah, we've had a couple of fairly large um, uh, crises that we've had to overcome. Uh, first one occurred um, about uh, six years ago, seven years ago, um, where we um, we just received a um, feed Melbourne grant to buy a van and uh, we'd bought this new uh, Toyota Hi-Ace van, and uh, we just had it sign-written, um, and literally, uh, not even maybe a month after we'd had it, um, it was parked out front of our offices one night, and um, an ice addict, a local ice addict, broke into our office, pretty much stripped the place clean, and stole our van, and... Um, uh, the, the positive side of that was, I mean, it was a real shock to come down to the office and find everything missing. But the real shock to that was that um, the community really rallied around the fact that we'd had this fan stolen and very much was very supportive. So we had a really big influx of people offering um, foodstuffs, uh, money, um, uh, offers of aid and things like that Um, and it was interesting too that um, uh, people kept telling us they'd seen the van and we posted on social media a number of photos of what the van looked like and we were getting reports all the time from people from all around the country saying oh I've just seen the van I've just seen the van Um, you know (laughs) and and in fact the weekend that the van was located um, we were getting um, reports up from Lismore that um, someone had seen the van up in Lismore and in fact in fact, the van was found in uh, Churnside Park here, and down here next to um, uh, the, uh, one of the suburbs next to Lilydale, and in someone's garage. So <laughs> I, I don't know what people were seeing uh, around the country, but um, um, the van was there, and the guy had actually had it repainted. It was a white van, and he'd he had had it repainted matte black, and it stripped off all the signage, um, and was using it for um, robberies to, uh, to to support his habit. Um, That was the first sort of um, major crisis. But it was a real, I guess, um, uh, incredibly negative um, publicity that um, was a real uh, flip side, was it had a silver lining to it, is that we were heard about it in um, uh, the mainstream media. And, in fact, uh, there was a couple of, um, like, the BBC covered us and things like that, you know, one of their news news reports. Um, But it was a real flip that was really amazing because we had started having... Uh, all these offers of help, and it sort of got our name out there, and, and I guess was one of the big boons for us. Um, and then last year, uh, and around this time last year, in Anzac Day, um, we had uh, feed Melbourne Grant again, and had bought a um, uh, a new trailer, a much larger trailer to um, uh, replace uh, a smaller one that we'd been using for our outreach. Literally, he had just the sign written, had everything, um, uh, all the shelving and stuff put into the the trailer, and it was kept uh, very locked up. It had uh, both a wheel lock and a tow ball lock and all these other locks on it. And on Anzac Day, um, unknown people came down and um, uh, stole it, and um, uh, we uh, never heard from it again. So I guess the same thing happened there too was that uh, that that negative – outpouring uh, of information on social media gained, again, the silver lining was offers of of, uh, assistance and help and um, the, um, uh, you know, people becoming a bit more aware of what we were doing and things like that. So, yeah, both of them have been incredibly traumatic and and negative uh, events, but on the flip side, the silver lining has actually been... Uh, that it's it's been really a, a benefit for us to to have the, our name out there, and also for the reception of um, um, all the amazing outpourings of support that we've had.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's um, there's some they are some big challenges to have had, and 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 very similar circumstances. The two different things that have happened, but it is nice, like you say, I guess, to have some of the silver lining in in a situation like that, and. I think it was Albert Einstein that had a quote, um, you know was quoted of saying it's something like in the middle of op- uh, in the middle of difficulty, difficulty lies opportunity. And I think that's a you know that's an example of of how that's come about. and I think. This current situation with the pandemic is probably highlighted in in um, some of those sorts of similar quotes and, and thinkings that um, there is a lot of challenges going on for many people and for many organisations and businesses even, but um, it's sometimes within those challenges that we can find some opportunity that really um, is a, really has a greater outcome in the longer run, which is hopefully what, um, is what you're seeing um, down at Holy Fools there. Um so, so, Neil, I know um, before we wrap up, I, I would just love to ask you one last question because I know you're a very, very busy fellow. Um, your work at Holy Fools keeps you busy. I know you have lots of other commitments and things that you do in the community and you have a family. What um, What is it that motivates you to keep doing what you do every day?
1: Uh, that's a great question. Again, I guess the the what keeps me motivated is the fact that um, – um, there are still people who are who need help, um, and I think that um, uh, until we can, as a community, start to recognise that it's going to take the community um, to work together to, to to stop this and address some of the issues that lead to homelessness, we're always going to need people who are going to need um, help out there. So I guess that what we're doing is 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 a uh, is it motivates me uh, to know that that we make a small difference and if I can make one difference in someone's life one every day, I guess that's what's the biggest uh, motivation to keep going is that you know we, we are making a difference in people's lives. So um, some days it's really difficult. I must admit that it is um, very overwhelming but um, on the whole I feel um, you know knowing that we are making a difference and we can see change and um, have some positive stories from these changes that um, that's what I guess what keeps us going.
0: Yeah. Thanks, um, Neil. You are a very good man and inspiring uh, founder of an organisation that is doing some really, really important work in your community and um, probably uh, not, you know, more more important at this particular time in our in our history um, of what's happening in the world. So. Um, Thanks so much for your time today. Like I said, I know you've been really busy, um, but I do really appreciate you coming on to our Small But Mighty podcast to share your story and the work that you're doing in this current situation. I um, I do really appreciate your time. Not
1: at all. I really I value the time that I've been able to, to spend with you and talking. And, I mean, uh, my uh, association with uh, uh, you know, has been a, a real benefit to, uh, to ours, uh, our organisation from the... Uh, the um, the grant we got to go to the the fundraising workshop that uh, through you yeah. guys yep. um through to the um uh, regular information we get from you but also the small profits lines, so i think is uh, has been a real amazing benefit so i really encourage anyone out there listening to um to sign up and and get involved because it's easy to to do what you're doing but it's good to hear from other people who are sort of maybe doing the same thing as you and get some support
0: yeah, thanks so much for that. Um, that words, those lovely words there, that's really appreciated. How can um, people get in touch with Holy Fools at this time if they want to make a donation or if they're in the area and can contribute some food? What's the best way to reach out or to follow what you guys are doing?
1: Uh, well, we're on uh, Facebook and, and a bunch of the other social medias, but um, if you go to our website, which is um, www.holyfools.org.au, um, you can, um, uh, Uh, donate there, and there's also some information on there about uh, material donations and also volunteering and things like that. So... yeah, pretty much all the information is there. But like I said, we're on all the social media and there's links from the website through to um, most of the chemo uh, socially, social media um, sites as well.
0: Um, Thanks once again, Neil. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on um, our podcast and I wish you all the best for the next couple of weeks and months through this situation and um, I look forward to seeing the journey of Holy Fools over the next 10 years.
1: Thanks, Bianca, and uh, I look forward to, to more too. Thanks.